everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor. And on this podcast, we recap and review TV shows and sometimes movies and music as well, and throw in some recommendations to boot. In today's episode, I will be breaking down the fourth episode of the final season of Succession, an episode called Honeymoon States. Also a reminder that just this week, we had the return of Barry. If you have caught up on Barry or are catching up on it, do check out our episode from last week where I republished some of the conversations around that show. Do check our catalog for coverage from last season. And on Wednesday, expect an episode where Sona and I will be discussing this episode of Succession, and Celia and I will be discussing the first two episodes of this also final season of Barry, which premiered just last night. And we'll break down those episodes and discuss them as well. Also on that episode, I think tomorrow it is, I'm publishing this on Monday, Tuesday we have the premiere of the most recent season of Better Call Saul on Netflix. So for everybody who hasn't caught up on that show, it's now available to all you Netflix subscribers, which is most of us. And in that same Wednesday episode, expect to see a republished conversation between Sona and I discussing the first two episodes of that season when it premiered last spring. And next week, I will probably include our conversation after the recap, the end of that season as well. Also in that Wednesday episode, expect that with just so much television content out there recently, there will be continuing to be these middle week episodes. And I'll be republishing some of those conversations there as well. Make sure you subscribe if all that sounds interesting to you so you know when those episodes become available. And one more announcement that, of course, we continue to cover Yellow Jackets, and we'll be in the middle of that season on this Friday episode, and expect a conversation about that as well. If you'd like to support the show, give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or simply recommend us to any of your friends or family that might be watching any of these shows, or any of the other shows in our catalog, whether that be White Lotus, The Last of Us, Your Honor on Showtime, or if you're catching up on Severance, anticipating the premiere of that very popular show later this year, we will definitely be covering that one here as well. So do check through our back catalog and look for things that may interest you. Okay, Honeymoon states. So the aim is we'd like to make an announcement today stating who we think will take over in the interim, ready for Monday. Right. And here's my position. I wonder if we don't want to take control of the plane here. Well, the, I guess the first thing is the Gojo deal, the board, the shareholders, everyone's very keen. No, exactly. And I tell you, I worry about the kid's commitment to the deal. If we called around the board, Frank, you'd hold a lot of sway on the interim appointment. They'd like senior management input, yeah. Right, and if the message we gave was to be, you know, but that the kids are... are Screw-ups and dipshits. Maybe uh, not constitutionally well-equipped at this point mm. to take on the role. Yeah. The episode begins, we are in the immediate aftermath, one day after the death of Logan. And what does this title suggest? Explicitly, ironically, not honeymoon states. There are states that obviously have a certain reputation as being good honeymoon destinations. The ones that get listed here by Willa later in, later in the episode are not really honeymoon states, but they serve a different purpose. But what does the title mean? Obviously, Willa and Connor are in a state of honeymoon. They're on their honeymoon, theoretically, right after the wedding. But then there's the idea of the honeymoon state, the period of time when you're in your honeymoon and you're still in an idyllic place. And although nothing in this episode is idyllic, we do see maybe a honeymoon phase in this reprieve of backstabbing and manipulation, maybe just temporarily, maybe only 
during this honeymoon period. And that does remain to be seen. At the onset of the episode, we see the siblings are all still recovering from the shock of the passing of Logan Roy. Kendall, looking completely haggard, has probably not slept. We find out later that he got a recommendation to have some online grief therapy in the middle of the night. And apparently, he seems to think it has done him some good. It's so hard to ever know what's going on with Kendall. He's always in public, even just among his siblings, is always putting on a performance. It seems like only in these moments when he's alone in his apartment or hotel, where we maybe get a sign of that insecurity brewing inside. Roman, on the other hand, seems to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, looks like he slept very well, and having his usual morning routine, he later states that he's dealing with it all very well. He has pre-grieved, assuming that his dad was going to die. At that point, Kendall does not believe what he's saying, and I doubted it as well at first. But now I do wonder that this may very well be the case. He has been thinking about this for a very long time. He has been dreading it for so long. And now it is here. It can't get worse. As a matter of fact, everything theoretically will only get better now that the worst has happened. And lastly, we see Shiv in bed, but seems to have probably been very restless this night if she slept at all, and is just playing back these scenarios in her mind. She actually makes a very interesting point later in the episode, and this is maybe what is going through her mind here as she sits in bed. I had speculated that if Roman had just gone to Connor's wedding, he may have survived all this. He may be alive, or worst case scenario, he still would have died, but he would have been surrounded by his family. Interestingly, Shiv has a completely different read on this. She says if they hadn't pushed the Gojo deal and hadn't pushed their dad at the karaoke, he wouldn't have panicked, jumped on that plane to go meet with Madsen, and he wouldn't have died on that plane by himself. And this is what's eating away at her right now. In the midst of that, she gets a phone call, and we find out that she is approximately four to five months pregnant, as is the actress, by the way, Sarah Snook. And presumably, this is Tom's baby. And I do wonder when she will tell him about it. But in the near term, Tom is not aware of this and is frantically looking for a safe harbor. He had bet on the wrong horse, a dead horse, as someone mentions to him later in the episode. There's quite a few different ways you can explore this episode. And what I started thinking about when I was taking some notes is how there is so much mirroring of trajectories and characters within the episode and maybe within the series itself. And the first mirrored group is, of course, these siblings and this corporate family of Jerry, Carl, and Frank. Kendall arrives at the wake at Logan's opulent house in Manhattan. Interesting to see how the siblings are all dressed here. Kendall arrives in a golf shirt. Once again, remember that he was always trying to brand himself as that, the young upstart. He's not doing things his dad's way. He's into the VC culture, much more business casual. But business casual at your dad's wake seems a little too business casual. Shiv is formally dressed in a business suit, which is kind of her brand as well, although she definitely is one to consider her appearances, of course. And Roman is in his fitted shirt with the sleeves rolled up. I do think I want to spend a little bit of time just thinking about how they've dressed for this event, because I think it does say something about the fact that the siblings, and specifically the male siblings, specifically Rome and Kendall, just have this expectation that they are okay walking into the room, wearing a hat to the meeting with Gojo next week, as we see in the previews, wearing a baseball cap. It's as if they're beyond all that, which really is how the dad rolled as well. Although even he would wear business suits to work. 
but it does speak to the fact that they just feel like, hey, I don't even have to make an effort. And maybe that is an indicator of things to come. As he rolls in, he's surprised to see that Marsha is there. Marsha claims that she remained very close to Logan, even though she hadn't been in conversation with him for weeks. Ironically, that the siblings call this out when they themselves, once again, a lot of mirroring in this episode, have also fallen out with the dad and had not spoken to him for a great deal of time. Of course, had spoken to him very, very recently, but that was not the norm in the recent months. Despite all these people here, of course, the siblings always bond to each other, especially in these type of social situations. This wake slash board meeting, they want to check in with each other. And of course, they also want to strategize. What's up with Marsha? Oh, the bell of the ball? Mm, death becomes her. <laughs> and like, where, where's, you know, where's Carrie? Uh, in Marsha's trunk, inside an anaconda, inside a sarcophagus. You know that Marsha hasn't seen dad in like seven weeks. It says in his calendar. Intimate calls every night. Did you get that one? No. I think I might sue her for making me think of dad doing phone sex. No. Oh, yeah, no, I could do a phone sex bit if you want. I just thought you wouldn't be in the mood. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm fine. Like, I'm sure it'll crush me eventually. Freight train to coming, but today I'm, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah? Yeah. I feel knocked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't sleep. I wonder if maybe I've just thought about it so much one way or another that I don't know, I've maybe pre-grieved? Well, good for you. I mean, I don't believe you, but... (laughs) No. I love the description that Roman has for where Carrie might be and how Marsha has disposed of her. (laughs) It hasn't quite happened yet, but it will happen in this episode. In adjoining rooms, we have Jerry, Carl, and Frank with Carolina in tow, and they're conniving on their own. Who should take the crown? We see a split in the vote here. Carolina and Jerry both think that Jerry should do it. She has done it before and recently. Meanwhile, Carl and Frank align against her, but both of them actually think that they're a good fit for this. But I think deep down inside, neither one of them actually want it, whereas Jerry really does. So I think she could have swayed things in her direction. Speaking of parallel actions, we see that Greg floats in with the siblings, just as Tom follows the other executives into this side room to check out the China and, of course, gossip and plan. On the Greg side, pretty hilariously, he gets the cold shoulder. Some are more polite than others. Roman just tells him he has to go find another mommy somewhere else. Matson calls Roman. Importantly, that he calls Roman, that he does have that closest relationship with him. But also interesting, remember, that he spoke to Kendall when he was concerned about the health of their deal. The siblings let the phone ring, but are actually rather concerned about this call and actually want to get their talking points in order. A few minutes later, they actually do return the call. Matson does not answer the call this time and instead lets his assistant answer. And as a bit of a power play, is actually obviously there in the background, commenting on the conversation and laughing at their predicament with their father just having died. He obviously has a, a great deal of power here and is letting the siblings get uncomfortable. I think this conversation goes really badly. Shiv seems a little over-eager to get the feedback that the deal is still happening, and then later balks at the idea that they'd have to, or one of them would have to get on a plane and meet with Gojo at their annual Gojo getaway. They even in passing say, hey, can you send one of those old guys to come and meet with us? Of course, this is a dig at those siblings, not asking for one of them to come and meet face-to-face, basically indicating that they do not believe that they are the power center here. 
But I am pretty sure, especially now, given the circumstance by the end of this episode, that it is Roman who is going to go and try to iron out this deal. Tom has weaseled his way in among the executives as they discuss their strategy and their feelings as how the board should vote. They mention that maybe they should have some messaging. Tom offers up that considering the kids are a bunch of screw-ups and dipshits, <laughs> they probably wouldn't be the correct ones to take the position. And he even offers, hey, it's only interim. I could maybe take the position. I'm only here to serve. Something he repeats many, many times in the course of this episode. And he gets a brutal assessment from Carl while he's scarfing down some mini fish tacos. Can, can, can I frame the question for you? But as a friend, sure. just so, so you'd be, sure. be prepared. The negative case would go, you're a clumsy interloper and no one trusts you. The only guy pulling for you is dead. And now... You're just married to the ex-boss's daughter, and she doesn't even like you. And you are fair and squarely fucked. Jesus, Carl. Uh, Frank, can I grab you for a second? Oh, sure. Yeah. Carl, who has a great <laughs> episode this week. Also having quite the week is Marsha, who's returned from her never-ending shopping trip to Europe and has reclaimed the house. Quite a few things happen here. She indicates to Kendall that she's still been having intimate conversations with Logan, something which may be true, by the way. Even though they are sometimes seem to be alienated from each other, we have seen Marsha pop up when Logan has needed her in the past. And we have also seen that he, even when they're away from each other, does turn to her for consultation. So maybe indeed there was still something here between them. But regardless of what it was, she is back to clean out the house and more. Greg is looking for that new mommy and tries to sidle in there. She is polite, but eventually blows him off. And Connor and Willa have arrived. She congratulates them on their wedding and gets a little dig in on Willa. Look how far you've come. But Willa turns it right back on her. Look at us both, she says. So Willa isn't so naive and she can defend herself. Connor mentions to Marsha that he'd love to have the house. It's a little distasteful, but you know, I don't really want to. And he just hints at the topic and she just immediately says, I'm thinking between 60 million and 70 million. Connor says, uh, 63? And they shake hands on it. Spit. <laughs> they spit in their hands and shake on it. Marsha is ready to clean up, take all her winnings, and head back to her life in Europe. To which I say, good for you, lady. <laughs> That's the right attitude. We also see Carl and Frank, the elderly and less neurotic mirrors of Kendall and Rome here in my analogy. They have found a fly in the ointment here. There's a letter, perhaps around four years old, among Logan's papers. And it says, should something happen, any kind of emergency or his untimely demise, here are his wishes. He mentions where he wants to be bur buried. He wants a funeral in New York. He has plans for some of his properties and some of his art, etc. But most importantly, who would be the interim CEO? And he has put down Kendall Roy as the interim CEO. More interestingly, seems like he has made some notes there. They're guessing, considering the placement in the documents, maybe about a year and a half ago. There's some pencil marks in the margins, some doodles, and then there is an underlining of Kendall Roy's name. There's some pretty funny interactions here. Carl says to Frank, well, you know, maybe if your hand got a little shaky next to the toilet <laughs> and this just disappeared, but they're just speculating in a comic mode, in a humorous vein. But also, this is not as essential a document as it may appear. Logan and his siblings no longer control the majority of the board, but of course, they still have a substantial vote on the board. 
But the question is, should they mention this to anybody else? Jerry comes in and joins them, mirroring this dynamic where Roman and Kendall are always fraternizing and Shiv's always a little bit on the outside. Speaking of being on the outside, Connor rolls up, always a little bit on the outside of these three. They check in with each other. Connor basically says, I don't even know where he's at. He doesn't know if he's okay with it. He doesn't know if he's not okay with it. They make fun of Roman once again for seeming to be doing fine. And they start discussing the obituaries of their dad. Shiv gets a great moment here where she says, that sounds great. I wish I'd met dad. (laughs) And then Roman also very entertainingly tries to translate one of the obituaries. Anything good? The courier, you need a code book for this one. You ready? Yeah. A complicated man. Uh, through phones at staff. <laughs> it's good. Sharp reader of the national mood. Uh, he's a bit racist. <laughs> well, then he was very much a man of his era. Again, racist. Mm-hmm. Also relaxed about sexual assault. Business genius. Never paid a penny in U.S. tax. <laughs> oh, that's... Boom. Yeah. Well-connected. Well-connected. Now, that's not fair. I feel like well-connected is generally accepted to be a euphemism for pedophile, and no one ever suggested that he would, you know... Fuck a child. Yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't even hug his grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Tom is still flitting about, looking for a home, Kendall is the kindest, telling him, I like you, Tom. Good luck. Dismissing him, but not too cruelly. Roman sees him coming a mile away and nervously, but hilariously, gives him a whole bunch of nicknames and makes fun of his need to ask kiss. I think Tom, once again, mentions that he's only there to surf. Only there to surf. But he does seem to get under Roman's skin here just a little bit. Maybe a seed of things to come. When he mentions, you do know, Roman, that in the end, you were his favorite. He made you COO. He went to see you that last night. And of course, Tom was there for that conversation. Tom makes one more play, maybe most earnestly, but also perhaps most calculatedly going to Shiv and leveraging their relationship. My dad died and my mom is a fucking disaster and my husband is... And Carrie and Marsha and... It, it, it feels like I'm the only one who lost something that they actually fucking wanted here, and it's not coming back, so... Yeah. Siobhan, do you remember when we first uh, knew one another? The first time in France, when I flew to you. And... It was that very difficult time for you. And I had sent you all those handwritten notes. And then the first time, and you were wearing that very fine silk shirt. And I put my arm around you. And I said, I kept asking, do you like this? Do you like this? And you said eventually, I like it. Oh, well. A little while ago, wasn't it? Not that long. Oh, a while back. We finally get these two groups of mirrored folks together in a room. They do indeed share the note with the siblings. 
Greg gets called in because he is also penciled in there. They just have Greg with a question mark. Greg says, well, maybe that means that I was his choice for number two. Everyone laughs at this. Shiv takes a look at the paper and says, is that underlined or crossed out? This is something that is going to now eat away at Kendall, by the way. I do especially like playing out in my mind the scenario that somehow this document, which of course is not even legally binding, but imagine that at some point this show ends up hinging on the fact that Logan's actual intention was to cross out Kendall's name and then Greg, question mark. <laughs> this is me just still playing out my scenario that Greg could somehow inherit this whole crazy thing. Also during this conversation, we find out that Logan has some artwork, including some Gauguin's. And just in passing conversation, they mentioned that he thought the best thing to do was to keep them locked up in the vaults for tax purposes. Shiv jokingly says, hey, why don't we just burn them for the insurance money? And without any irony at all, Carl mentions that that would be the quote unquote dream, <laughs> the dream scenario that the Gogans would burn up for them to collect the insurance. Now, if this isn't a criticism of late stage capitalism, I don't know what is. The idea that the best thing you could do with this priceless artwork, which first of all, art prices are completely out of control now, which is the first indicator that we have way too much wealth and way too few hands. But then the idea that, okay, you've now spent tens of millions of dollars on these extremely rare and unique items, and hopefully they'll burn up in a fire somewhere or be locked away in a vault forever so that no one could ever see them because that's how they're most valuable. As the room clears out, Frank and Kendall stay behind. And here's another mirroring element. We have the nice dad. Multiple times throughout the course of the series, Kendall has turned to Frank when he needs some fatherly advice. And I think that Frank, as professional as he is, does still have some emotional connection to Kendall. And of course, the spirit of Logan is here as well in the form of that note and the ambiguous underlining or crossing out. Kendall asks Frank, do you really think he wanted me to have the role? Frank mentions that he absolutely did at different times. And you know this. And honestly, it's kind of shocking to have Kendall be so confused at this moment because we know, even in the course of this show, that Logan has definitely wanted, was grooming Kendall for this very role. And this is significantly Kendall's fault himself. He eventually became convinced that Kendall was not right for the role. And of course, this is the thing we've always been wondering about Logan. Was he pushing the kids because he wanted to make them ready for the job? Was he pushing them because he was in this toxic competition with his kids, or he despised them for getting everything easy when he had to struggle so hard for everything? I mean, it's a combination of all these things, as it is with all family dynamics, I think. And Frank here is worried about Kendall. He says, Kendall, you have your own things going on now. You got things cooking. Do you want to go back down this road again? And unfortunately, I think, in my opinion, this is bad news for Kendall. But yes, Frank will back him. Before the announcement of the final board vote, some of these political ghouls have turned up, as Roman calls them. Kendall is trying to have this conversation with his siblings about potentially getting their votes. We also find out that Mencken's on the way. Mencken has indeed won the Republican primary in the ellipsis between these seasons. And we never see him in this episode, although I'm pretty certain we'll see him pretty soon. But we do see the Secret Service. They're there to sweep the house since he is en route. And the election, of course, is about a week away. And we have about seven episodes, I believe, of the show left. So we have seen one episode per day so far this season, I believe. So we will probably see seven more episodes in seven days. Is that possible? Maybe it will be a little more than seven days, but I think it's going to be nearly day for day. Stephen Root is one of these blowhards here making his eulogy to Logan. Logan made the country a beautiful place. 
Stephen Root, who of course we are going to see this same night as he returns on Barry. So many people who are in the HBO casting merry-go-round who pop up on multiple shows. And of course, they're all great character actors. So sure, keep them in rotation. Tom and Greg have been shopping around for any patron at all and gravitate to each other as they normally do. Mirrors of each other. Once again, all these different mirrors in this episode. It's funny in these interactions, Tom really finally feels disgusted, I think, with looking at Greg. Maybe a painful reminder that he and Greg are not so different. We might get some actual details here from what Tom said. Logan died fishing his phone out of the toilet. Also hilarious the way he describes that Carl had plugged up the toilet bowl because of his horrible dietary habits. We did see him have to stop to grab a sandwich during an international flight. He also mentions here that Logan was no longer wearing his compression socks because he was trying to impress Carrie. (laughs) Speaking of mirrored characters here, an alternate path that all these folks may have had to deal with. Sandy and his daughter Sandy arrive. We actually get a little bit of the conversation he has with Kendall secondhand. And it really does seem that Sandy is completely out of it now and simply is a puppet for Hope Davis's daughter character, Sandy. But he still gets a vote at the board. This could have been their future. If Logan had survived or if Logan had slowly became more and more decrepit, they would have been puppeting around, their dad wheeling him around. Given that as a possible alternative history, is it so bad what happened to Logan here for everybody involved? More mirrored characters here interacting in these scenes. Carrie arrives. Wow, what an incredibly painful scene this is. They say out with the old and in with the new. Well, here we have the new is out and Marsha is back. She's won this battle. But interesting, Marsha was once the Carrie and she put in all the time and she was not going to let Carrie swoop in and take over in the last minute. Marsha is very cruel here and seems to relish the fact that she imagines Carrie is simply just getting dropped off at the subway and she wants to picture her finding her way back home to her little apartment. What a reversal from last year you think about everybody who had aligned themselves with Logan was in the catbird seat and suddenly here we have Carrie on the outs and Tom, of course, also through his support behind Logan is also homeless at this point within the organization. The whole scene with Carrie being kicked out is truly terrible. Colin steps in immediately. He's a polite but stern guard dog, despite just wearing jeans and getting mocked for it by the siblings. He does seem to have landed in Marsha's good graces. They have a side conversation, and I have a feeling Colin is going to hang around. Meanwhile, Greg here, still desperately looking for someone to be his sponsor, is chittering away, doing running commentary as Carrie scrounges to pick up her pathetic bag of items that have fallen onto the ground. Roman is the only one that shows her any compassion here and proves himself once again to be maybe the most sensitive and the one who has the most compassion despite his overtly trollish behavior. Carrie, under her breath, is mentioning that they were going to get married. Logan had told her that they were going to get married. Now, do I actually believe this? No, I don't. But do I believe that he might have presented her that to keep her around? Possibly. That is possible. Kendall catches up to Stewie. And he finally has a real emotional breakdown there. They have been friends for a very long time. Mirrored characters once again. Golden boys that never quite delivered. And Kendall uses that emotional connection to hope to get Stewie to vote his way. Stewie does mention that, you know, the last time I backed you, I got my pubes singed. (laughs) Kendall makes his pitch. Hey, this is only temporary. It would be good. Have a little bit of confidence there to have another, another Roy there. Someone in the family. Someone who's a known commodity. 
and it's only temporary. Stewie's weighing it out, but seems amenable. The last person he has to win over is Shiv. He gets angry here. Shiv seems to just be distracted and refusing to have this conversation. Kendall's pitch is, doesn't it deserve to be one of us? Are we just going to hand it over to one of these jerks, or are we going to do this ourselves? And pitches the fact that, hey, look, we've been working together, been trying to get these other deals off the ground. Doesn't that feel good? Let's do this together too. I think the most convincing argument here, she's very skeptical. She knows how badly this can go. But I think the most convincing part of it is the fact that they have been working together recently, and there's an opportunity here to do what they have claimed they've wanted to do this whole entire time. Here's an opportunity to at least temporarily do it. And of course, that temporarily can become permanent, potentially. They finally have the meeting where the heads of the board are all together. Stewie comes in to referee with the siblings and throws a support behind Kendall. He mentions, hey, there's that note. Roman pushes away Jerry a little bit by saying, hey, you know what? You were fired. Jerry says, you don't have that on paper anywhere. And Roman just goes, hmm, maybe. Like, hey, are you sure we're not going to find a paper? That would be pretty bad. No, don't you think? And that backs her off a little bit. In the end, they reluctantly do vote for Kendall and Roman as his number two. And of course, Shiv gets pushed aside. They say, they can't do three. It sounds too weird. It sounds too contrived. You don't have any experience. Kendall has experience here within the organization. I'm the current COO. We have the piece of paper with Kendall's name on it. How do you fit into this? You would just be like a weird orgy for hippies. Too many people. She's not happy about this, but accepts it. At first, I wondered why Stewie would actually support this. He did have some negative takeaways from the last time this happened. But then again, what additional sway does he have if Kendall is not there? With Kendall, he has the friendship. He has some pull. Whereas if he just has some professional or even worse than that, some outsider come in to run the show for a little while, Stewie's just another outsider with a big vote, a very loud voice. And of course, that has its own power but just another loud voice in a room full of loud voices. After this whole turnout, Shiv seems especially frustrated. And in running off, she actually trips and falls, embarrassed by, by the situation. Stewie actually tries to help her up. And she just says, don't touch me. She doesn't want Stewie to help. She doesn't want Tom to help. It's just another humiliating moment for her in this particularly humiliating day. Now, at this point, just based on what I'm seeing on the screen, I would say that this humiliation is planting a seed for her to come up from this very low point. So I think that there is potentially the possibility that she climbs to the top, just given this turn of events, or that she could collapse this whole entire thing spitefully just because she has been put on the outside yet again. We approach the end of the episode. Ken and Rome go into the dad's office. Carolina and Hugo need to meet with them. And they just look at his empty desk, this empty throne in this Shakespearean interpretation of this show. Carolina and Hugo need to talk about messaging. They are the comms people. One way to go, Operation Embalm Lenin. Your dad was a great man. He built this whole entire empire. And there's continuity here. The son, look at the pictures of the family all together. Look at how they've worked together in the past. The letter with Kendall's name on it. This was all meant to be. Option number two, Operation Shit on Dad, as Roman calls it. He was old. He was having problems making decisions. The kids were the ones who were actually there helping pull the strings that whole entire time. So actually, this is a completely natural progression. They had already been doing the job. Roman is very insulted by this, especially to Hugo, saying, how dare you have this conversation with us on the day of our dad's wake? And they said, of course, we were just giving you options. Sorry. But then we end the episode. We see Kendall on his phone 
looking at the scan of the document, zooming in. Am I underlined? Am I crossed out? What does this line mean? He's going to perseverate on this forever. He goes and finds Hugo. He tells him, this is Operation Embalm Lenin to the public. But behind the scenes, it's Operation Shit on Dad. Hugo's uncomfortable with this. He says, I need some sign-off, maybe from Roman, maybe from Jerry. He says, no, you're going to do this under the table. You're going to do this in secret. No one else will know about it. And if you don't do what I say, Hugo, the strap-on is coming out. This is in reference to all the way at near the very beginning of the episode, when Kendall arrived at the wake, he saw or overheard Hugo talking to his daughter. His daughter had apparently sold off a bunch of stock before Logan's death was made public. He says, I did not tell her to do it. I did not leak this. I don't think I spoke to her about this. I never speak to her. We have like no relationship. Seems unlikely those two things could possibly be, be true. I don't remember if I spoke to her or not. And we have no relationship. Seems a little questionable. And he was furious with her on the phone call. So it was definitely not something he did on purpose. And he has to come to Kendall and ask him to help cover it up. And now Kendall's saying, okay, you want me to keep your secret? Well, you got to do this for me. And maybe this is an indication that Kendall has become as cutthroat as his dad repeatedly reminded him you needed to be to run this type of business. So in a weird sort of way, Kendall is kind of rising to that challenge. But then deep down inside, I feel like, is this what he's doing? Is he being purely tactical and just doesn't want to tell Roman about it because he's too sensitive? Roman is too sensitive about these things? Or is this Kendall really trying to screw over his dad's legacy because he still has this resentment and really still, even with that note, believes that his dad never believed in him, never trusted that they could run the business. So I am curious about all of this. Also curious to wonder about how Kendall's temperament is going to play out here. We see Frank warning him that, you know, you're doing well right now. Do you want to go back down this road again? Remember what happened last time? And you have Shiv warning him that I've seen that look in your eyes before you're spinning out. This is the addictive side of your personality. I personally think that this is Kendall getting what he wants and he's on his way down from this moment forward. This is definitely a temporary position, obviously. And he has way too many skeletons in this closet and he's just way too erratic in his behavior. Once he starts getting what he wants, he loses the strategic thinking that he does show sometimes in the course of this episode. And that if he gets on someone's wrong side, and I can imagine him not saying the right thing, being a little too cocky about his decision-making, and the siblings know about his implication in that death at Shiv's wedding, Colin knows, Marsha knows, it's very likely that that secret's going to come out if he tries to maintain power. I'm sorry about everything. I mean, after your wedding, to have to do this. Oh, uh, we're going to head off next week. You know, we've got a little trip planned out. Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Mm, the honeymoon states. <laughs> what else am I looking forward to in the rest of this season? What's going on with Gojo? Gojo obviously cannot possibly want to buy the company at the price it was before. And then without that money, nobody gets what they want. Carl does not get to buy that Greek island with his brother-in-law. But more importantly, all these big plans the siblings had will fall through as well. And of course, what's happening with the election? This is my speculation. Connor is going to get some sympathy boost in the polls. Instead of polling at 1% on this libertarian ticket, he's going to get to 2%. He's going to get to 3%, maybe even higher. And if he's siphoning off 2 or 3% 
from Mencken's vote in a 50-50 vote, Mencken is going to have to come to Connor and give him something. Connor is actually going to ask for a place at the table and is probably going to get it. And that's where we leave things. A really fascinating in-between episode full of incredible dialogue, hilarious dialogue, but in its tone, not as funny as the show has been in the past. I actually probably laughed more during the very grim last episode than this one, but really just so dense, just thinking about from moment to moment, everybody's dynamics, where are they trying to land? What are they, who are they trying to manipulate? What angle can they find? And this is what I love about the show. Uh, in addition to the great performances and the absolutely hilarious comedy of it is this criticism of the way business is done oftentimes where it's only about getting an edge. It's only about screwing over the other guy. And it seems like there's never any focus, by the way, on this show in four seasons of how this business runs and how it's successful. The people who are doing that are doing it, obviously. The business is successful. But there's no interest in talking about how that happens. It's purely this power play, this desire to undercut each other, to undermine each other, to win at any cost. And the business is just almost a byproduct, the side conversation, instead of being the primary focus. It's just the excuse for people to play out these power dynamics. So as I mentioned, tune in on Wednesday. I will be having a conversation with Sona, getting her opinion of this episode, speculating on what we're seeing here. How are these allegiances going to align or break in the upcoming weeks? And any kind of speculation about the future, the remaining episodes. I'm pretty certain, by the way, next week we are headed over to the annual getaway at Gojo. And while they're in Europe, will they visit their mom? Will their mom come to the funeral? Lots of questions as to the travels of the siblings for the next couple of days. And when is the funeral going to happen? It can't be that long. And it's probably not going to be next week. They would probably wait for the siblings to return. So perhaps we have the Gojo meeting next week, the funeral the week after that. All remains to be seen. I'm very, very interested, very curious to see how this show wraps up. Also, as I mentioned, we will be, I'll be breaking down the first two episodes of Barry, which premiered on Sunday, and I'll be having a conversation with Celia about it, and we will be discussing those episodes on Wednesday as well. And lastly, Wednesday's episode also featuring a conversation about Better Call Saul's final season, which is premiering on Netflix this very week. So if you're catching up on that, I'll include timestamps in the show notes in case you want to listen to different parts of that episode. And of course, once again, Friday, our recap of the next episode of Yellow Jackets. So stay tuned and I'll talk to you soon.